now that I've taken a year off, what I'm really starting to think about is, and for sure I'm gonna go back, but do I have to go back in the same way? Do I have to go back as that executive that in a role, in a company, in an operator role that is back to kind of, you know, where you don't have a lot of time for your kids? Welcome to Beyond High Street. My name is Jenny Derrick and I'm the Dean of the Pharma School of Business here at Miami University. Today I'm joined by Stephanie Ferris, who graduated with a BS in accounting in 1995. It's great to see you again, Stephanie, and, and thank you again for agreeing to be on this podcast, Beyond High Street. Thanks for having me, Jenny. I'm excited yeah. to be here. So good. So good to see you again. I know we've, we've done a little bit of work together. It's fun. So let me begin with the, probably the most important of all the questions I'm going to ask you today. Why did you choose Miami? And why did you choose the pharma school? Oh, great question. So um, I think because it was the best. So uh, as we talk, you're probably, I had kind of thought about a lot of questions you might ask me about Miami and my career. And I was reflecting back upon it. And actually, most recently, um, gave a talk at my company in terms of, you know, what am I about? And I would say it's, it aligns with why I chose Miami, because it had a reputation for being the best um, public Ivy. It has a reputation, the pharma school business is one of by far the best. And so um, I just like to do and be around people that are the best. And so um, that's why I chose Miami and that's why I chose accounting and, um, and I'm sure you'll ask me a bunch of other stuff, but um, for me, it was really about it being the best. And honestly, when I came to Miami to visit, I literally only visited the school once I came up for, I think two hours, I walked around and I said, yep, this'll do it. It just felt like where I needed to be. It's such a beautiful campus, isn't it? It's an easy sell. So you, you mentioned accounting. Did you always want to do accounting or is it something you fell into? <laughs> whoever wants to be an accountant um very few people I think you know interesting I have I have no idea other than when I was little I do recall that I like to do um off I used to play office I'm, I'm not sure that's a normal game for little girls but I did like to <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> yeah um but no I never dreamt of being an accountant uh I kind of you know entered the farmer school of business and um, popped around to all the different um, classes there. And I just really liked accounting. I, I thought it was interesting. And the people and the careers people had coming out um, of the accounting um, degree, I thought were really cool. And I want to pivot and talk about your career. Because as, I've, as, as I was prepping for this call, I went on LinkedIn and saw that you started an audit in PwC. You went on to Fifth Thursday to Ventive, to Worldplay, and that was acquired by uh, Fizz. So can you talk me through your career? And there are obviously different inflection points along the way that ultimately ended up you know, leading you to Worldplay. World yeah, no, absolutely. So it's been, I can't believe it's been almost 30 years um, since I left Miami in 1995. So yeah, I graduated with an accounting degree. Interestingly, I had a poli-sci minor, um, which I've never used, but I still find very interesting. Went to work for Coopers and Librarian, which ended up being PricewaterhouseCoopers. Um, I, I really wanted um, a job where, one, I made a lot of money. I uh, put myself through Miami, and so I spent a lot of time thinking about um, how I could financially uh, pay back a lot. I had a lot of debt coming out of school. Um, and that career seemed really good, but PwC was great because, 
um, in public accounting gives you an opportunity to go and um, be inside a bunch of companies. You see a bunch of different cultures, a bunch of different businesses and executive teams. And I thought that was really interesting. And then from there, um, in 2001, I um, jumped into banking and that was when banking was actually fun. Um, it's been a long time, I think, since banking's been a fun industry. Um, but I did, I jumped to fifth third. And the reason why I did that is because it was in acquisition mode. I'm, if I think about what I love to do, I'm a growth oriented person. I like to grow things. Um, you can you can do a lot of things when you're growing um, that it's a lot harder when you're in a company that's kind of shrinking. It, it's, a, it's a different kind of culture. So I, I jumped to fifth third. It was a fantastic opportunity. And I, um, I used my background in public accounting to do a bunch of different things there. I did corporate development. I did M&A. Um, I never did. Interestingly, I never actually did technical accounting. Um, so that'll tell you, you don't have to really worry too much about um, what your degree is. I did pass the CPA, obviously, to be in public accounting, but I never actually did ledger entries, um, debits and credits. So I went to Fifth Third. It was fantastic. Um, I was there from 2001 to 2008. And I was getting ready to leave there, quite frankly, because um, I was getting bored with conversations around the yield curve. And for those finance majors out there, they'll, they'll understand what I'm saying. I don't know how many times we could talk about, you know, what was happening with the yield curve. And I ended up in the payments business at Fifth Third as the CFO of the division. And at that time, it was interesting. They were called Fifth Third Processing Solutions. Interestingly, Fifth Third Bank is quite innovative. Um, 30 years ago, they started the first ATM network called Genie. Um, and they started Fifth Third Processing Solutions. They were one of the first people that processed um, debit cards and credit cards for Kroger's and Macy's. So it was quite innovative. And I was in that division. I was the CFO of that division when the financial crisis hit. It was super fascinating being inside a bank during the financial crisis when the stock went down to a dollar. And so the bank was really looking to sell any business they could to raise capital. If you remember, um, you know, the Fed was forcing banks to, to raise capital. Bayer fell, Lehman fell. And so we were pretty panicky in the bank. Um, and so we, uh, it was a fascinating situation, but we did, we sold the payments business. So I was the CFO of the payments business. I worked for Charles Drucker, who was the CEO. We sold it to private equity for $2 billion in um, March of 2009, and we spun out. And then from there, for the next 10 years, we bought eight companies, um, and we went from $500 million worth of revenue to $4 billion worth of revenue. And then in 2019, almost exactly 10 years later, we sold the company um, to a company called FIS. And I stuck around for a year. I became the chief operating officer ran technology and all kinds of other fun stuff. And then most recently, Jenny, as we've talked about, I am taking a year sabbatical. So I'm six months into that. So sorry, that was so long. That's a great answer. And, and you know, Fifth Third is a, is a bank that we hold in such high regard here for, the, for their innovation. And, and yeah. it's really interesting you telling that piece of history. So you're on sabbatical, which is a, is a great concept and principle, but sometimes hard to pull off. And I believe you're taking a one-year sabbatical. So talk to me about how, how on earth are you filling your days? And, and I'm really interested in, in the transition when you came from a, a very, very busy role corporate role and, and doing a lot of different things. And now you've completely switched gears. So, so talk me through sabbatical. It's, it's crazy. I, don't, I, you know, it's crazy. Um, yeah. So when I was the chief operating officer of FIS, I was traveling almost hundred percent of my time. I was all over the globe. Um, 
and which was honestly was a challenge. I have two girls, they're teenagers, and, and that was tough. Um, and then all of a sudden in September of 2020, although COVID had hit, so everyone had stopped traveling, I left and decided to take a year off. It's been crazy. I've, it's about six months. The first three months, I felt like I had, you know, kind of broken out of uh, jail in terms of I didn't have to travel anymore. I didn't have to get up anymore. I, you know, it was pretty exciting. It almost felt like summer break. Um, and then the winter, I'd say the, the winter quarter, remember I'm a finance person. So I think in terms of quarters, the winter quarter was a little dark. I mean, the weather here in the Midwest, pretty uh, challenging during the winter. COVID was a downer. Um, and I was kind of starting to think, what am I doing? Um, you know, what am I gonna do? And the cool thing that's going on right now in corporate America is um, the diversity and inclusion kind of wave is really, really good for women. Um, I think, you know, Jenny, I'm on the board of Lululemon, but there's so many opportunities for women now. Everybody's looking kind of for a board member or um, an executive from a female standpoint. So it's also tough to stay committed to my year off because um, I keep getting calls, which is fantastic. But so far I've been able to head, head those off. And as we come into spring, summer, I somewhat feel like I'm back at Miami as a college grad, like cannot wait for the summer, getting ready to go on spring break in Florida. So I'm reliving a little, I wish I could have come up for green beer day. So I'm reliving it a little bit. I heard green beer day was a bit quiet at this year. That's what I read in the newspaper. So, <laughs> so have you picked up any hobbies during sabbatical? I have. So, um, probably much like most people that work full time, our hobby is our work. Um, and so I was committed during this year off that I would try some new things. So um, also, because I'm just very non traditional female, I try I thought I would try some female stuff. So I tried cooking, I've been taking piano lessons, um, I've been taking tennis lessons, I kind of tried to do this mind body spirit theme. Um, I'm pretty bad at all of them. Um, <laughs> And for sure, I kind of, I, I really don't like cooking, um, but I will say I, I've enjoyed the piano. I have absolutely no talent whatsoever, but I find it to be very challenging um, intellectually. So that's been fun. Um, I'm not sure that I love any of them, but I'm still working on it. <laughs> we'll see what happens when we have yeah. this conversation in another year. We'll see how it worked out. And, and do you, are you seeing your options differently when you come out of sabbatical because you've taken sabbatical? I really do. You know, when you, it is interesting. So like I said, I have a 14 year old and a 17 year old. And up to this point, I've just been very traditionally working like crazy, loving my job, you know, loving my family. And now that I've taken a year off, what I'm really starting to think about is, and for sure, I'm going to go back. But do I have to go back in the same way? Do I have to go back as that executive that in a role in a company in an operator role that is back to kind of you know where you don't have a lot of time for your kids and so as i'm thinking about that i'm really thinking about it differently so like i mentioned boards do i start to use the opportunity to be on boards the SPAC thing is really interesting yeah. um and so i'm really looking at opportunities for the next couple of years so that i can be more around for my kids than i was in the last 10 years and, and I think people who are listening to this podcast would absolutely empathize with you in terms of how do we juggle high profile careers and family. It's, it's, it's a challenge. It's a real challenge. It is. It is. I mean, a lot of people ask me like, you know, how do you balance? And my answer is you don't balance. You, don't, yeah. you, you do what you love to do. 
And so, you know, people will say like, how do you work that much? And I say, well, how do you not? I mean, I love what I tell my kids all the time is I love my job and I love my kids. And so it's just a matter of putting that all in the agenda. Uh, they, they, and by the way, they told me not to say the word agenda. So I come <laughs> home and I speak to them in corporate speak and that drives them crazy. They said, we're not on your team and we don't have an agenda. Well, as long as there's no hidden agenda, we're fine, right? <laughs> But um, I would say, you know, I would say from a female standpoint, I mean, in, in really in general, but but certainly as a mom, um, you do have a lot of guilt and you do have to throw that off yeah. because being a fantastic mom for me is about being a fantastic executive. And I can't be one without the other. Uh, in fact, I did do part time and I had I had actually intended to um, be a full time mom which if you know me now you giggle thinking that that would even be in my mindset. Um, but I, I am a much better mom. If I'm working, I'm more engaged and I'm happier. So um, it, but it is a challenge. It is a challenge. And I love what you said in this, in the segment too, about the issue of guilt. And I remember speaking to a, a, when I had my first child, a woman who'd had five and she said exactly the same thing. She said, never feel guilty about the choices that you make. And, 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 and that's just not the right emotion to have. So I'm really glad that you've raised it. Cause I'm sure that some of our younger students and maybe younger alumni might be listening and thinking about how on earth do you, you balance um, in this case, having children with a high profile career. You can do it. That, that's my, you can absolutely do it. You just have to do what works for you and your family. And I would say there's not a solution that works for 10 years. I, you know, especially when your kids are young, you, you take it on it just like, just like performance review, take it year by year. When you first have your kids the first year, you might need a different thing than the second year. So you just have to constantly evolve and change, but you can so, do it. So did you give your kids annual performance reviews? <laughs> they give me annual performance reviews. <laughs> <laughs> so, so switching back to, to your time at Miami, when you look back at your time at Miami, who was your favorite professor and why? Oh my gosh. I, oh, I don't know that I had a favorite. I mean, I, when I was there, I worked in the management department and I took all the business classes. Um, I did really like Dr. Job, who was a stats professor way back in the day. Um, but you know, I, I'm not sure that I could say that I had a favorite. That's a very politically correct answer. So which subject, not professor, did you least enjoy, but which subject? Oh, God, when I was a freshman, I took this class called botany um, about plants. I don't know why I thought that would be interesting to me. It was awful. Hated it. So you're not an avid gardener? <laughs> no. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> what co-curricular activities were you involved in? Um, so I worked a lot while I was in school. I think I mentioned that I, I paid for school. So I worked in the management department and then I'd say more, more, much more fun was, uh, I worked at CJ's. Um, so that was super fun. And then I was also a Delta Zeta for a couple of years while I was there. Good, good. What was your favorite time of the day to go to class? <laughs> so, uh, 10 AM because I'm a morning person. I like to get up and get moving anything later than that. I felt like I was kind of wasting the day away. So I think 10 AM, in fact, I wish work would kind of start there. <laughs> so that's your perfect time of the day, 10 o'clock. Yeah. What, what was your favorite night of the week while at Miami? Oh my God. Thursday night. So Why? Fun. So fun. 
Um, because it was the promise of the weekend and I felt like all the craziness kind of started on Thursday night. It was just, and it felt like you were stealing, stealing a day into the weekend. It was just, and it's such a blast up there on Thursday night. There's always something going on, isn't there? And, and it's great to see Oxford coming alive a little bit more over the course of COVID year. Really good. So you've talked about working a lot while you went through college. Did you have internships while you were at Miami? Um, no, I didn't, but I went to Lux. So that experience was absolutely amazing. And I highly recommend, whether it's Lux or any of the other programs you guys have there, if you can participate in something like that. It's just fantastic. I met my best friend, my very best friend from life there. Um, we're still best friends. She lives in Chicago and um, it's just fantastic. No, it's good. We, we, I, think, I think you and I have talked to two thirds of our students do some kind of study abroad. It's, it's a defining characteristic of the program. Where did you live in your freshman year? What, which dorm were you in? Oh, I was in Wilson Hall and you guys just tore it down. It was so fun. It was an old kind of insane asylum. We used to have a Halloween party there um, every year. The dorm did. Just, it was just super fun. And what about off campus? Do you remember where you were off campus? Yes, of course. 210 North Campus across from Home Plate. It was uh, another really fun house. I lived there for two years, junior and senior year. Do you've driven past and had a look at it from time to time? Oh, yeah, it hasn't changed at all. <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> so what's your favorite building on campus? Not in uptown, but on campus. I, I mean, I was just, I feel like I was just uh, Laws Hall, although I would easily convert now to the new farmer school of business. I felt like I was just constantly in Laws Hall. And so I was hiking it up and down those, those stairs. So I guess just being a business school rat, that's probably my favorite. That's where you were. Yeah. yeah. What about your favorite spot uptown? Where, where, where would that be? Oh, CJ's. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So have you ever been back to any of these places? Do you go and eat, eat when you go to um, come into Oxford? Yep, for sure. So love Bagel and Deli, love myself yeah. a cool jewel. Still love Mac and Joe's, Turkey Gobbler, um, yum, yum, yum. But I think you guys have gotten some new stuff since we've been there, which is good. I, still, um, I love Mac and Joe's. We go there. We, it's, a, it's a great place. What's, <laughs> what, what's your favorite bagel? I've got to get to, get to the bagel shop. Oh, yeah, I like the cool jewel. Okay, well, yeah. remember that. <laughs> Good. What was your most memorable personal experience while you were at college? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I would say Luxembourg, going to Luxembourg is by far my most memorable. Um, and then in general, I would just say, like, it's such a great place to be in the fall and the spring when the weather is good mm -hmm. and you're bumming around with your buddies and, like, it's just, just a great I, I love Miami. It's a great place. Yeah. If you look back at any part of your time at Miami, what, if anything, would you do differently? Oh, gosh. Um, two things, probably. One, I would take more risks. So um, I was pretty uptight. I'm still probably pretty uptight by definition. Um, and, you know, when I look back, I think, God, I wish I would have sweat it less, um, sweat the small stuff less um, and enjoy time a little bit more. And then in terms of like academically, um, I and certainly for now, and I wish back then, I wish I would have taken more tech classes and data classes. They weren't quite as big then. Yeah. Um, but, you know, no matter what you're doing at Miami at this point, I would say try to get some data, some artificial intelligence, some mm. technology. Those classes are going to be really important um, as you come out in your career now.
In fact, I'm actually, as part of my sabbatical, taking some of those classes myself. <laughs> That's impressive. Good for you. Good for you. So you know I'm new to Oxford and, and we live in Oxford. So what would you recommend I do in the weekend? What, what, what activities? Oh, my gosh. Um, well... That's a really good question because I was there as a college student. So I'm going to give you a college recommendation. Go, I mean, go. I think, you know, if you're a runner or a walker, as you know, the campus is beautiful. Um, and so I would, I would say go for a run and go get yourself a cool jewel, hang out uptown. And if you're up for it, you can stay up past 10 o'clock. I don't think the students will want me hanging out with them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, go have a beer at... Um, yeah. Skippers or Mac and Joe's and yeah. just chillax as my kids say yeah no it's a good good thing I want to go back to work a little bit you know you you were involved in a lot of work around acquisitions and I know when we've had different conversations you talked about obviously vision mission and values alignment but you also talked about focusing on colleagues customers and companies and then more recently really paying attention to community so unpack that for me because I thought it was really intriguing when you mentioned it earlier about why should organizations matter you know care about communities so much yeah it's so interesting because I would say probably for the past 15 years business people we have we've really thought about value creation or shareholder value in terms of you know, our customers, our shareholders, and our employees, and haven't thought about our community being a big place that we needed to serve anybody. And really, it's because in kind of the old world, government served community a bit. And as we've seen <laughs> over the last couple of years, let's just say four or five years and things unfold, and, and government's having a hard time serving communities well, I think you're seeing corporates really being pulled to step up and whether it's um, because of all the diversity or BLM, et cetera, um, we in companies, we can't have thriving companies. We can't serve our customers. We can't serve our shareholders unless our communities really thrive. And so you're seeing corporates, in fact, the CEOs, <clears throat> um, the advisors of CEOs, across um, the United States actually signed a pact, if you remember, mm -hmm. that said that they were going to um, pull together communities into whom they care about. So I've seen that and that's really interesting and new. And for me, it's a, it, it means a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a Cincinnati native. I've traveled all over the world. Um, my heart is here um, in the Midwest and Cincinnati and with Miami. And so I care about this community. So as we broadened out our three seeks, colleagues, customers, um, and added community, to me, it felt like I didn't realize it was a missing part of the equation, but it really, really was. And I like the way you prefaced it too, that you know, there's been so much change in terms of what the role of organizations is. And to your point, we look to governments historically to do a lot more, but now we're realizing that it really, that companies have to take a stand with respect to community issues and, and customers, employees and investors are expecting you to do that. Yeah, for sure. Now, I will tell you as a former CFO of a public company and standing alongside CEOs of public companies and even being on the board of Lululemon, it, it isn't an easy thing. So, you know, you're even seeing last week um, where H&M took a stand and, you know, China kind of shut them out. So it's very difficult what you're asking corporates to do because taking a stand, especially if you're a retail or consumer brand, 
right. can have quite a bit of backlash. And so it's a tough thing to do, um, especially as a public company executive. Um, and so we're being asked and pulled um, to make those stances. And it's tough to, to um, because your personal views are can and will be different than maybe what your corporate, what you can say and do as a corporate. So it is a struggle. And, and I suspect you're going to, as this generation of executives retires, I suspect you'll hear them talk about how hard that was and making that evolution mm. because a lot of companies weren't born on, you know, stances like that. Um, well, and, and as I understand, a lot of companies would employ lobby organizations to, to make the stand on their behalf, but yeah. now people are expecting the company to make the stand. Yeah. And, and let's stay with that for a minute because you raised some really important points. So if we're thinking about our younger audiences since this podcast, you know, what advice would you give them in terms of, of having a voice and taking a stand and taking a position within a company or on behalf of a company? Oh, that's a really good question. Um... Oh, Jenny, that's a good one. I, I think, look, everybody should try to find the places where they're passionate. Um, and so for me, you know, my passion is around growing businesses and that's what I love to do. And so in order to do that, I have um, feelings and I'm passionate around certain things in the community. Like um, at one point I was in the Chamber of Commerce in Cincinnati because in order to have a thriving company in Cincinnati, we needed to have a thriving set of companies in Cincinnati. And so as part of the chamber, then I got to advocate around that passion. What I would say as people, um, as you come up into companies, you really need to think about what you're passionate about. Um, and then, you know, advocate within those companies. Usually you can find an outlet um, and, or a way to have impact in that area. Um, productively. I think it's so interesting. Um, you know, technology has enabled um, so many movements to start and keep going. Um, but at the end of the day, you do need a big um, group of people to keep momentum going. Mm. And I think most companies are going to be very um, accepting of wanting to help um, have positive impacts in their community as long as it is done in a positive way. And, and that's the hard part from a company standpoint. How do you keep it positive and inclusive, not exclusive? And, and so I say on brand, but certainly appropriate to the cause of the company as well. So there's a balance. I know I love the advice and, and, and thank you. So staying with the topic of advice for students, as you know, many students will listen to this podcast. So I want you to give them advice, but give it in two parts. Part one would be for income freshmen as they enter Miami and part two would be for someone who's been out working just for a couple of years as they're building their career and they're trying to figure out you know what what their moves are going to be yeah I think for an incoming freshman it's it's about you know taking and enjoying every opportunity so I mentioned like I was in botany I was in physics and sports I was also in the business school and I I, some of it I enjoyed and some of it I didn't, but it's really important actually to figure out what you don't like. And so as a freshman, I would say, just take the opportunities that are put in front of you in terms of trying a lot of different things. A lot of people ask me, how do you figure out what you want to do? I, I think you just figure out what you don't want to do. And then ultimately you default into what you do want to do. So that, that would be what I'd say from a freshman standpoint. Um, and then back to, I really, really would encourage you to take data and technology classes as much as you can, artificial intelligence, all that kind of stuff. Even if it's not your jam, I would just, you know, having exposure to it. I think after you've been working a couple of years, um, 
is a great time to kind of take a step back and say, all right, am I on, do, am I loving what I do? And am I on the trajectory that I want to be on? And if you're not, um, I think a lot of people, especially women get stuck in um, being afraid to take risks. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, especially business students, after a couple of years, will go back and get their MBA. That's a great opportunity to change the trajectory of your career. I didn't do that, but I saw a lot of people do that. I do think after two or three years, you kind of need to assess like, is this going well for me? And if not, what do I need to pivot and change? Maybe I need a ge geographic change. Maybe I need to change the company I'm in. Um, maybe I need to go back to school. So don't be afraid to you know, really think about that. Um, you own your career. No one's going to make it for you. And it's kind of hard to figure that out. But you know, do take stock and don't be afraid to, to make a change. And the other thing is, if it doesn't work out, it's okay. Mm. it's fine. You can make a different decision and try something else. And I think when you say try something else, I think that's such good advice to a friend of mine who's a career coach talks about the trying twenties because in your twenties, you simply are trying out lots of different things. And, and I think the other point, you know, when you look at your career and, and you've moved into different roles, different companies, and, and it's not unusual for people to have multiple chapters of their career and, and careers that span many, many years. So I think that's, that's great advice. So before I, I come, come to close, I'm just going to throw in one more question. Um, you talked about having been a global uh, traveler. And now, of course, none of us are talking very much of anything. So what country do you want to go to? What, what's your first um, overseas trip that you want to take when, when you've got the freedom to travel? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I spent a lot of time in Europe. I do love Europe. But I think that the place that I was getting ready to go was Shanghai. Um, and that trip got canceled. Um, and I still would like to make that trip. Um, not sure exactly when I'll be able to do that, um, but I've heard that um, area is beautiful and I've yet to get there. So that's yeah. probably the place. I used, I used to go to Shanghai quite a lot, to Pudong and, and different places. It's great. So thank you so much, Stephanie, for the gift of your time to allow us to record this podcast. One of the defining characteristics of my role as dean is just having such engaged and, and an accomplished alum who are happy to give their time and, and talent back to the school. So I'm so grateful to you. So thank you very much. Go well in your journey beyond high street thank you jenny take care